We're going to be in the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 3. If you've seen a diet commercial, you've definitely seen one. The before and after photo. On the left is someone who's overweight before the diet. And then on the right is the picture of someone after. They're holding up the jeans they used to wear, much bigger than they are now, and they say, I've lost 125 pounds, and you can too. Now, I don't know if the data and the statistics and the medical studies would really back up much of any diets that that you might see on TV, Uh, but those before and after pictures sure are convincing, aren't they? I mean, we look at those, and it's hard to argue with results like that. It makes us ask the question, well, maybe... Just maybe, that'll work for me the same way that it worked for them. And so we buy the stuff, we try the foods, we do the steps to try to get along. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. If you're a child of God, and I pray that you are a child of God, you have a before and after. Did you know that? There is a before and there's an after, specifically a before faith and an after faith. What the difference that faith has made in you. And last week, we, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, but especially last week on this question of why then the law? We've talked about the fact that the law is not the way that we become justified with God. So the question is, why do we have the law in the first place? Why have it? If it's not what makes us right with God, then what, what purpose does it fulfill? And we saw that the law, in part establishes the promises of God, that it becomes a means by which God enacts the promises that he's made. This morning, we're going to be looking more at that. We're going to be looking at what the law does before we come to faith, and then the difference that faith makes. So stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 3. We stand because God's word is so important, so powerful, that we recognize that when we read it, We ought to take note of what it says. So, reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 this morning. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we on this Father's Day recognize the incredible gifts that you have given us through our dads. We thank you. At their best, they help us to know the kind of father you are. They help us to see that you're a father who never leaves us nor forsakes us. The kind of father who never neglects us nor abuses us. The kind of father who does not sit afar off and and hide away from relationship with his children, 
And so, Father, this morning, we ask that you use your word to build us. Make us the sons and daughters, the aunts and uncles, the nieces and nephews, the grandparents and grandchildren, the mothers and, yes, Lord, especially the fathers that you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. We're looking this morning at our before and after. If you've come to faith in Christ, you have a before and after. And so first we look at before faith. What is it like before faith? Before faith, we're under the law. Paul begins with a description of our lives before faith. Now before faith came, now, up until this point, we've been somewhat critical on the law, at least the law as a means of justification. We've read over and over again, passage after passage, both on Sunday mornings here in Galatians and on Wednesday nights in our series in Romans. We've been seeing the fact that the law is not the way that we become right with God. And we've asked that question, so, so what do we do? What, what, what purpose does the law have? Now, some people will take this too far. And they'll say, well, if the law isn't what makes us right with God, it has no reason, no purpose, so we'll just throw it out. If you've ever heard of this term, antinomianism, the idea is that the law is worthless and it should be completely discarded. And Paul wants to caution against that. If you ever read the book of 1 Corinthians or even 2 Corinthians, you can see what happens when a church, when a group of people throw out all caution to the wind. And have no boundaries. If you really want to see what it looks like to have no boundaries, just take a look around. Our society is quickly denigrating and and defacing the moral authority that underpins everything about our society. And so now, there's nothing left. We've eroded away the foundation upon which we are built. And I'm not just talking about the Father's of the country founding us on on Christian principles. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the more fundamental civilization that was built on, on this idea that some things are just out of bounds. Some things are just the way they are. You take them for as they are because that's the way they are. That's why you have people that don't know what to answer when they see the question, what is your gender? I mean, that's pretty easy. Do you remember a few years ago, there was a movie called Kindergarten Cop? Y'all remember that movie? Arnold Schwarzenegger playing this kindergarten teacher. He's filling in and teaching a kindergarten class. And one of the boys, I won't say the exact quote, but one of the boys just basically points out the difference between boys and girls. And we laughed. I remember laughing, thinking, how does a kindergartner know that? Of course, it's a, it's a Hollywood kindergartner, so you know, there's that. But... Then I got my own kindergartners and I realized, man, they are pretty sharp. Even kindergartners know the difference. And yet you have people today that are making up new terms to try to figure out what they are. How does that happen? It happens when we take away the moral foundation upon which our society is built. When we throw out the law completely, there's nothing left to anchor us. And we're drifting away from all sense, common and otherwise. That's what happens here. 
And Paul doesn't want the Galatian church falling into that trap. You can say no law, no law, no law for so long and suddenly the pendulum swings to the other side and everybody's throwing out the law. That's not what Paul wants to happen. What he wants to happen is for this people to see what role the law actually plays. Because if God said it, it matters. Even if He said it to the Old Testament Israelites, even if He said it on Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago, it still matters. So, what does the law actually perform? What, what purpose does it have? I find in this passage in particular, there's four purposes that the law fulfills before we come to faith. First, the law protects us. Now, it may surprise you to know that. It doesn't really seem like the law would be much of a protection. But look, look with me at the Scripture. Galatians 3.23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. The word here for held captive is not like a prison warden that's keeping the prisoners in their cells. The word is a watching over, watching out for. It's, it's the... It's more like a guard that's stationed to protect a person of interest, a, so, a secret service agent who's protecting the president, or someone who has been challenged to guard a specific uh, item of value, the Marine that stands guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. That's the idea here. It's not that we're trying to keep something captive so much as it is that we're trying to make sure it stays safe. Peter or Paul says, the law protects us. It, it watches over us. It makes it guards us from harm from without. The psalmist put it this way: How can a young man keep his way pure? Watch this. By guarding it, same idea. By guarding it according to your word. What he's saying is, if you want, as a young man, this applies to young women, and applies to old men and old women too, but if you want as an individual to keep your way pure, the way to do that is watching over it according to God's word. Now when this was written, there was no New Testament, no gospel, not, not in its full form. It was starting. It was beginning to work out. But God hadn't, God hadn't shown up yet in Christ Jesus. So what word is he talking about? He's talking about the law. If you want to know how to guard your way, how to make sure that you are doing the things that should be done, that, that you're not being assailed from without to the point that your life falls apart. You guard it according to the Word of God. There are some people who say, well, I don't believe that, I don't trust in the Bible, I trust in Jesus. Well, how do you know Jesus? Through the Word of God. The Word of God is pivotal. It's, it's, the, it's the crucial aspect of this. And when we put the Word of God in its rightful place, both law and prophets and New Testament, gospels and epistles, when we put it all in its proper place, it will guard our ways and it will ensure that we make good decisions in our lives. So the law protects us. It, it guards us. 
It watches over us. Making sure that we come from faith, that's a very different role from making us right with God. It's kind of like a chauffeur. His job, his job is just to get you there and to get you there safely, right? His job isn't, it, it, once he gets you there, it's up to you. You're going in for a job interview. The chauffeur's job is not to make you look good. Unless you're like the story that Jack told of the chauffeur and the, and the scholar changing places, then that's a little different. But the chauffeur is just to get you there, to get you there on time, to get you there safe. That's what the law does. It gets you there. It gets you to the point of faith. There's another thing the law does. It prevents us. So not only does it protect us from harm from without, it actually keeps us from getting worse. It keeps us from making mistakes. And so this is more of a negative sort of connotation. This is where the idea of the prison warden comes in. Look, in, look at the end of 323. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Imprisoned. That's exactly what it is. That word means to put behind bars. Put them away. Lock them up. Now that seems kind of restrictive, doesn't it? Exactly. That's the point. The point of the law is not only to make sure we make good decisions, it's also to make sure we don't make bad decisions. It's to lock us up. It's to give us boundaries. Have you ever seen traffic cones? Traffic cones. You ever disobey traffic cones? Drive where you're not supposed to drive? Sometimes you can get away with it. I saw one time they're, they're building, widening the road. It's a, it was a two-lane road. They were making it into a, a, a four, maybe even a six. I can't remember exactly how many lanes it was at that place, but, but it was a divided highway. So it was going from this little road to a big road. And they had this, bit, this, this side of the road, and it was smooth, and it was gorgeous, and there were all these traffic cones. And I thought, man, this road is in terrible shape. That road looks really good. And it had gone on for over a mile like this. And I thought, well, why aren't we driving over there? That's the better, let's get over there. And then a couple tenths of a mile later, I found out why. That road led to a bridge that hadn't been built yet. There's a reason for the traffic cones. The law does the same thing. It puts up the barrier warning you, this is the time to stop. Don't go beyond this. Because if you do, you're going to hurt yourself. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. If you do, you're wandering away from where you need to be. It, it locks us up. Have you learned that you are your biggest problem? My biggest problem. If, if y'all would leave me alone, I'd be a lot worse. I wouldn't be any better. Let me tell you why. Because in this community, I get built up. I get encouraged. I get, I get, I get, God speaks to me through you. Bonhoeffer once said that the, the Christ in the word of my brother is often greater than the Christ in my own heart. What he meant was the encouragement that we get from each other builds us up and makes us better. 
And that's, that's absolutely the truth in this place. In this place, I can tell you for sure, this church builds me up. And I hope that I'm building you up too. I hope that together we are all growing in faith in the one in whom we derive our name from our Father Himself. But it prevents us. It, it, it gives us those boundaries. that Our sinful nature creates this toxic stew of depravity that makes us want to go crooked any chance we get. We need something to stop us. And that's part of the function of the law. To stop us. To make us think twice before we make bad choices. You ever get in a mess and realize you're headed down the wrong path? That's, that's the law working on you. God, God has put the law in our hearts as a safeguard as our sin, but that doesn't mean that the law is supposed to hurt. Sometimes we get hurt by the law. We come to realize just how bad we are, how, how off we are from where God wants us to be. And it hurts. The fact of the matter is it's not supposed to hurt. If you wouldn't do wrong, it wouldn't hurt. Um, a while back, Mitchell, Mitchell still does this from time to time, but he used to always put his shoes on the wrong feet. One day he complained his feet were hurting. Well, if you put your shoes on the right feet, they won't hurt. If you don't make bad choices, you don't get bad consequences. Now, I know there are times when people make bad choices and it affects you. But for the most part, we do it to ourselves, don't we? That's what the law is there for. You don't, you get onto your child when they get too close to a hot stove. Is it because you hate the child? No. You want to protect the child. And sometimes that protection means that I have to punish the child so that they will not get hurt even worse. Proverbs 13, 6 puts this really well. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. But sin overthrows the wicked. The law is there to make sure we don't get overthrown. To make sure sin doesn't capture us and captivate us and, and put us so far away from God that we've got no clue which way is up. So the law imprisons us. It prevents us from doing a lot of things that we naturally just want to do. It's not the only thing it does. It, it protects us. It prevents us. It also provides for us. Look in verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. This idea of guarding comes out a lot. We've talked about guarding from dangers without. We've talked about guarding us from, from making bad decisions. This kind of guarding is a little different though. This word, it's where we get our word pedagogy from. Anybody ever heard of pedagogy? No. Okay. If you are a music major in college, you'll take a, like, let's just say a piano major, for example. You'll take a class called piano pedagogy. It's where you work with a mentor, someone who is really experienced at the piano, who you do different music, and they watch your technique, and they work with you to improve your technique. The idea is it's kind of a mentoring thing where you're practicing it out, and someone is helping you get better at how you do it. 
That's the idea. That's this, this word is where we get that idea from. It's, it's, it's the person who does two things. They care and they teach. Now, it's not like our teacher today um, whose main role is instructing. And there's some caring, but uh, sure, care, teachers definitely care for their students, but they don't care for them quite in the way that this word is. This word would be the person more like a, a nanny who or a mother who homeschools. Someone who's teaching them, who's providing food for them and shelter for them and caring for them and hugging them when they get a boo-boo and all the, all the whole range of stuff. This is, this is the type of person who is investing day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute into kids. He's saying the law is our guardian. That's what the law does for us. It provides for us. It provides the, the knowledge that we need of how to know to live God's way. It provides those, those physical needs, the food and shelter. Nehemiah talks about this. He's, he's praying to God, and he's praying in front of a group of people. And you know, sometimes you've heard me do it before. Uh, in fact, you just heard me do it a few minutes ago. Sometimes we preachers have to preach even in our prayers. Did you hear when I was talking earlier about how, how fathers, how earthly fathers, when I'm praying, I'm praying that earthly fathers are demonstrating the heavenly father and how at our best we show you that, that God doesn't leave us, God doesn't forsake us, God doesn't abuse us, God doesn't neglect us, God doesn't sit away and not care for relationship, but that's not who God is. We show that. I was kind of halfway preaching. Yeah. I know, it's a, it's a dirty little secret of preachers. We preach when we pray. Now, am I telling God all that? Did God not know any of that? No. It's for the benefit of everybody in the room. Nehemiah is doing that sort of thing. He's praying, but he's kind of preaching too. He's reminding the people as he's praying to God of what God has done for their ancestors. He brought them out of Egypt and he carried them through the wilderness. And then Nehemiah 9.20 says this, You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Instruction and care. That's guardian. That's this idea of guardian. God, through his words, instructs them and cares for them. I, I, I think it's interesting that it's God's word that speaks the universe into existence. God's word so powerful that it creates everything from nothing. And it's that same word by which he cares for us. We talked about the covenant of peace. One of the things that God says in that covenant of peace in Ezekiel 34, the fruit, the, the, the crops will yield their produce. I'll banish the wild beast. I'll provide for you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. In another place in Jeremiah, he says, I will write my law on your heart. That's the role that God plays, and He plays it through His Word. 
instructing and caring. Like a father who cares for and teaches his children how to love God, the law shows us firsthand how to live in light of God's revelation. How to order our lives in a way that pleases Him. In a way that's good for us. What it looks like to be right with God. The law doesn't make us right with God, but it sure helps us see how to put that into practice. Finally, the law prepares us. When you see a phrase like, so that or in order that, uh, you know that it's giving the why. Up until this point, verses 23 and 24 have given us the what. What the law does. What the law does. Before faith came, the law, the law uh, pr- provides for us. The law protects us. The law prevents us from going astray. Now we get the why. Into verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Why is the law doing all this? To prepare us for faith. To get us ready to believe in Christ. The law is not something that detracts us from faith. It's not something that pulls us away from Christ. The reason that Paul could stand against the Judaizers who were preaching law, law, law is because they were taking people away from Jesus. The law of God doesn't do that. It brings them to Christ. It brings them right to the foot of the cross of Calvary and shows us how we need a Savior and God has provided for that need. That's what the law does. It gets us ready. It puts us in just the right spot so that when God speaks, we'll hear and we'll obey. These things the law does protecting us from harm, preventing us from falling too far from God, providing for us a sure foundation to know God's ways. All of these things serve the purpose of getting us ready to hear the gospel. The law readies us to hear and believe in Christ. That's our before. Now we're on the precipice of faith. Let's look at the after. Let's look at the after photo. What does it look like now that we're not under law? but under grace. After faith, we are under grace. Just as the law has functions, faith also does some functions. Four of these very quickly. First, faith makes us free. But now, verse 25, that faith has come. You see, before faith came, the law, the law, the law, the law. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This is the same word as in verse 24, that idea of instruction and care. It's that same word. So what's different under faith? There's no guardian anymore. Why not? Well, think about it. Why would would a kid need a guardian? Why would a kid need someone who would care for them and instruct them? Two reasons. Number one, they're not capable of caring for themselves. And number two, they're crazy and won't do what they need to do. (laughs) You need someone to teach them the right way. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. Why not? Well, 
In reality, we're still under a guardian, but it's a very different guardian. It's God Himself. You see, before we were enslaved to sin, we needed a guardian who would bring us to the point of faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer slaves of sin. We're set free from sin. We don't have to know how to live God's ways because we know God Himself. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within the heart of the believer. So there's no longer a need for someone to teach us the ways. In that passage in Jeremiah that I referenced earlier, he says, I will write my law on your heart. No longer will a man tell his brother, know the Lord, for they will all know me. Every single one of them will know me because I have written my law on their hearts. They will all know how to serve me. That's the work of faith. God inscribes His law, His word, His truth on your heart so you don't need anybody else to teach you. We, we don't use this word very often in, in, in our culture, but it's the perfect word for this. He brings us to maturity. Now, He's still working. Some of you are adults. Some of you don't act like it, but you're adults. Uh, just kidding. Mostly. Some of you, some of you know you're still, I used to think adults are adults. They just stay that way. Oh no, there's lots of change in adulthood, isn't there? I'm learning that a little bit the hard way. I didn't put a picture of, um, of the before and after diet photos because the after guys always have this six pack and I have like a jug or two or, you know, working on a barrel. It's a little embarrassed. We're still undergoing changes as adults, aren't we? There's still a maturity process that happens in adulthood. You don't finish when you're 18. You don't just suddenly stop changing. If you think you do, then you're probably 18 and a half. It doesn't take very long for you to realize our bodies change still. Some of you have white hair. Some of you don't because of Clairol. Some of you don't even have hair. I'm, I'm nearly bald by choice. I, get, I cut my hair this low. But the fact is, there's still a growth. There's still a maturity. And in our Christian lives, they're different. We're still maturing. We're not there yet. But it brings us to a place where we can be spiritual adults, where we're not just babies drinking milk, but we're cutting up steaks. We're eating good food. A little glass of milk, that's fine. That's not a meal. Some of us need to grow up. Some of us don't have a guardian anymore, but we still kind of need one. At least we function that way. We act like we act like we can't do it. We act like, oh well, you know, you know, we make up excuses. But the reality is, we're just we just don't. You see, faith sets us free not only from the bondage of sin; it also sets us free from the need of a guardian. We can grow and mature and be Christ-like in our ways. Because we know God. No longer do I have to have somebody interpret for me. Though sometimes I need some help interpreting. No longer do I I have to have someone tell me how this verse applies to my life. God's Spirit does that. No longer do I have to... 
I, I could hear things that I've never heard before and gauge pretty much whether they're true or not. You notice that? Anybody else able to do that? Like you hear something and you say, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Now, now, wives, are y'all in agreement with... <laughs> I'm just kidding. The fact is, God's Spirit works in us, bringing us in maturity, and it, and it frees us from childhood, from spiritual immaturity. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Somehow we keep the faith of a child, but we grow the brain of an adult. And it happens through faith. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 3.16, that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Don't you know that? We're the dwelling place of God. This ain't the church. We are the church. Since by faith we know God, we don't need a guardian anymore. The Holy Spirit, he's our guardian. Faith not only makes us free, it makes us family. This is, a, this, is pretty, uh, this is pretty neat. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Then skip down to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. Now he's not saying that we're exactly the same. There are no differences. That would be absurd. He's not claiming that there's no ethnic differences between Jews and Greeks. He's not claiming that there are no economic differences between slaves and freedmen. He's not claiming that there are no biological differences between men and women. He's saying the differences don't matter because we are united in Christ. Bonhoeffer's quote, this is one of my favorites, in Christ we have each other holy and for all eternity. You see, He's what makes us one. He's the one that makes us one. And He uses faith to do it. Faith makes us family. And if you've been around here very long, you know this is a family. We're a bit dysfunctional at times. But we're a family. And it's because of faith. You take away the faith, there's no family. I mean, there's nothing that holds us together other than Christ. But that's all we need. Third, faith makes us fashionable. I had to find an F. Here's why I did this. Verse 27, For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That put on, it means get dressed. It's the same word for putting clothes on. He's saying, he's saying you who have been baptized into Christ have put Christ on like, like clothes. Now that seems kind of odd to us, but you know, uh, Scripture actually shows us some pretty fine-dressed fellas. In Revelation chapter 7, John is seeing this massive multitude of saints gathered around the throne, and they're praising God. And one of the elders comes up to John and says, John, you know who all these folks in white robes are? And John, 
John says, sir, you know, which is, um, which is the, um, it's the, the, the kind of way that doesn't beat down your pride, but, but saying basically, I have no idea, please tell me. Sir, you know, you know, you know who these folks are. And the elder tells him, verse 14, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd." He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Faith makes us fashionable. Amen. It puts us in robes of bright, gleaming white, brighter than any teeth of any preacher man on TV. God does that and He does it through faith. Let me tell you something. This is a before and after before we're in these dingy, Isaiah puts it this way, filthy rags. Our righteousness before God is filthy rags. Because of faith, we're in gleaming white. Standing at the throne of God. Singing his praises. And I can't wait to be in that choir. I can't wait to be there. Faith lastly makes us favored. Verse 29, if you are Christ's, and you are when you put faith in him, by the way. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Doesn't matter that I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. You go back four or five millennia, you're not going to find much of a Jewish answer. I guess you go back far enough, you get to, Ab- to Adam. I guess you can get to Adam. <laughs> I don't know if he counts as a Jew or not. But yet, if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. The lineage doesn't matter. Because you're in a lineage of faith. That puts you directly in line to receive the promise. Look at that, heirs according to promise. We'll talk a little bit more about that heirs, that idea of an inheritance next week. What a difference faith has made. I'm going to tell you personally, I have gone from before faith to after faith. From those filthy rags to those white robes. I've gone from being under a guardian to having the Holy Spirit living in me. And it's made all the difference in the world. That's, you know, the difference? It's faith. That's what, that's the line between the before picture and the after picture. Before faith, you're under the law. You're condemned in your sin. Now with faith, you can know what it means to be forgiven. Pray with me.
Father, as we approach a time of invitation, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts. I pray, I want to thank you, first of all, for paying the price that you paid on Calvary because faith faith in, in anything else is worthless. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything to help us. There's no way I can be right with you on my own. There's no right I can, way I can be right with you uh, through anyone else's efforts, through, through any other person, man or woman, through a father or mother or anybody else. It, it wouldn't matter. But because of your work on the cross, because Jesus paid it all, Lord, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Lord, I pray this morning, that would be true of everybody in this room, that there would come a point where we recognize that we were before faith, that we were under the law, that we were being held captive, imprisoned by sin, that we were, we were subject to condemnation because we were not justified in your sight. We were not right with you. We had alienated you. We had turned from you and we had fled away from you. We have offended you, we have done you wrong, and we deserve hell itself because of the way that we've treated you. But God, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can put trust in you and be right. Father, I pray that that would be true of every single person in this room. If it's not, I pray that they would do that right now. That they would put their trust in you. Quit trusting in their own efforts. Quit trusting in mama's faith or in a cultural faith that is willing to say God exists but doesn't really have any bearing on life. May even be willing to say, oh yeah, I should, there are certain things we should do, but it's all a checklist for them. God, I pray that they would trade the checklist for Christ, that they would put full confidence in your son and the redemption that he paid for on the cross. Father, this is your time. Do with it as you please. And may you receive all the honor and glory for the lives that you change because of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.